Lord tonight, would you lift your hands, your voices, and your hearts, and would you praise him who is worthy, so, so worthy of our praise and worship tonight. I feel the wonderful presence of God in this place. From the book of Genesis, chapter 17. In the book of Genesis, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant, everyone say covenant, between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. In verse 10, God said, This is my covenant, everyone say covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. In verse 13, the instruction continues, He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. In verse 24, And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 27, And all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. A final portion of scripture found in the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse 9. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he says, For in him, meaning Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. Say, buried with him in baptism. Say it again. One more time. 
wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. I'm going to entitle this tonight. I've worked on this thought for years. In 1998, on Sunday night, I was asked to preach the general conference in the United Pentecostal Church. This is the message that I would have preached, except the Spirit of God fell and there were many miracles of healing. I have not preached it until tonight, but I feel a signal to do so here. I'm in the covenant. Would you lift your hands, your voices and your hearts, and would you pray for a divine spirit of revelation and understanding and the grace of God to yield to the power and the will of God. Lord Jesus, tonight I thank you for the wonder-working power of God in this house tonight. I thank you for Brother Kilgore, these precious saints. I thank you for the precious people and the leaders here. Thank you for the victories that have been gained through your touch. I pray that somehow you will preserve your people until the sound of the trumpet. But here tonight I am praying for the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that you will anoint us both to hear and to speak, and that we will be transformed into the glory and power of Almighty God, that from this place tonight we will walk forth renewed with revelation, understanding, and a great consecration and dedication to the eternal laws of God and to the power and the might of his majesty of his word tonight Lord Jesus I am asking bind us together in one mind and one accord help us O oh Lord tonight for the next few moments of time to be transformed changed lifted delivered healed set free I ask in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth by the authority of the Word of God by the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and everyone said Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Would you clap your hands with all of your might tonight? And would you lift your voice of praise to him? story reveals God's great desire to have fellowship with man. Not only did God create Adam and Eve, but he walked with them in the cool of the evening. He gave them a language that he might communicate with them. That should tell you a great deal about God if you are interested in learning something about him. But God also gave his master creation mankind. He also gave him a free will which was theirs, the power of choice. 
They made the wrong choices. Mankind failed. From that point on, a long and arduous courtship began between God and man. The posterity of Adam waxed so evil that God destroyed the earth by flood. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and eight souls were saved by water. Say, by water. Say, by water. They were to be fruitful and multiply. But again, Noah's posterity sank into the abyss of failure and vile evils until God sought out a man among men and found him in the person of a Chaldean whose name was Abram. People, it really all begins here, right here in this story for us tonight. For God entered into a blood covenant relationship with his own creation. A man whose name was Abram. God courted him, wooed him closer into his realm of understanding and revelation. Promising that if Abram would keep his covenant from generation to generation. Then through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And his seed would be as the sands of the seashore. In the Old Testament, the name of God was unpronounceable. But there was something called a tetragrammaton, which represented the name of God in the form of four consonants or four unpronounceable letters. J-H-V-H or J-H-W-H. The scribes of old would write those four letters when they recorded the word of God. When they came to what was supposed to be the name of God, they would write in those four letters or the tetragrammaton. When God entered into a covenant relationship with Abram, he really in essence said, you take a heifer for me and the rite of circumcision for you. We'll sacrifice together. We'll mingle our blood together in covenant bond. An astounding thing was announced by God when he said further, Abram, I'm going to change your name. I'll take the H out of the tetragrammaton which represents my name and I'm going to add it onto the name of Abram and I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham, bring your wife Sarai and I'll change her name from Sarai to Sarah by adding an H to her name. Thus God mingled a part of his own name with theirs. A people for his name's sake is not a new thing, but an ancient desire of God himself. It is an incredible, insightful understanding. Thus Abraham became God's earth partner in this earth. That is why God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without first checking with Abraham. He could not do it because he had entered into a blood covenant relationship with his new earth partner whose name he had changed to Abraham. He couldn't do it until he checked with Abraham because they had entered into a binding covenant contract. They were covenanted together by blood. Hallelujah. Daniel chapter 3. 
Daniel said, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, Oh Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant. Everyone say covenant. And mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Daniel used the strongest and most powerful thing he could use on God because Daniel understood that his God was a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. Daniel knew that. Nehemiah said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love and observe his commandments. David said in Psalm 50, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant, everyone say covenant, with me by sacrifice. Abraham died in the 20th century before the birth of Christ. 700 years later, in the 13th century before Christ, a man whose name was Moses was born in the tents of the Hebrew slaves in the land of Goshen. Moses means drawn from the water. And God raised up Moses to be a mighty and great deliverer of the Hebrew children. Hundreds of years later, after the death of Abraham, at the time of Moses, this covenant, everyone say covenant, was still powerfully intact and in effect. Moses gave birth to a son. He and his wife gave birth to a son. And Moses, for whatever reason, busyness, the cares of life, pressures, failed to keep the covenant of God and have this newborn son on the eighth day circumcised. God, the Bible says, sought to kill him. Now consider something here tonight. Moses was the most valuable man alive in this hour. He was the most capable. He was the most qualified to do what God wanted done in the earth. He had 40 years of training on the, in the courts of Pharaoh. 40 years of training on the backside of the Midian Desert. He had heard the voice of God, seen the face of God in the fire. But the, the message here tonight is, God doesn't care about your degrees, your qualifications, what your name is. You're either going to keep the laws according to the book or God will just put a line through your name. He does not need you, and he does not need me. Clap your hands again. And shout to the Lord. The wife of Moses saved the day. She took a sharp stone and performed the surgery upon their newborn son and looked at Moses and said, you are a bloody man. So powerful was this covenant, so feared by the people of God that no matter what happened, they kept this covenant, this blood covenant, this blood business arrangement between the creator himself and their own people. Down through the centuries from Abraham forward, 
the sons of the patriarchs of old gathered to the bedside of their dying fathers and swore by oath upon the covenant of God given to their father Abraham. Even at the time of King David, this practice was still in powerful effect. His men swore in the presence of God, keeping covenant with God and his earthly king. The Hebrew children were a marked people. There was no way to hide it. They were marked by a covenant with God. The heathens round about them did not have this mark of God's law upon their flesh. The heathens made fun of the Jews. They mocked them. The Greeks called it mutilation and scorned the Jewish people. During the Grecian Empire, Jews were forbidden to carry out the covenant rite of circumcision upon their newborn male children at the price of their lives if they disobeyed. History says that they heated hot hooks and irons and when they found out that a Jewish father had disobeyed their laws and had gone through with the covenant rite of circumcision, they skinned them alive. But even that would not stop them from carrying out the laws of God. They feared the law of God more than they feared the enemy that had captured them. They feared the laws of God and his power more than those voices around them in their day to the death. The Nazis during World War, World War II could ferret out the Jews by checking for this ancient sign of covenant and they did so innumerable times. Many Jewish men lost their lives because they posed, they tried to disguise, but the thing they could not disguise was the ancient mark of covenant between them and their God. The lives of many Jewish boys were saved by dressing them as girls and hiding them among the Gentiles until the war was over. At the cost of their own lives, brutal torture, the Jews kept this covenant of separation, dedication and consecration with God, with the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. From a book entitled Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust by Oxford University Press, the story is authenticated of a Jewish mother who gave birth to a son in a Nazi work camp. This Jewish mother knew that there was no place in any Nazi work camp or concentration camp for a baby. Every baby that was born in those concentration camps that were manned by the Nazis they couldn't keep the cry of the baby silent and so the Nazi officers would come through and they would dig out and they would demand and they would wreak havoc and upset things until they found the baby and then they would throw the baby in the air and they would shoot holes through it before it hit the ground or better yet they would throw the baby in the air and with the spear they would catch it while the mother shrieked in horror this mother knew that they would come for her baby, for her son. And she knew that they would kill him. But he was not circumcised. And she also knew by the law of God, if he were not, he would be cut off from his people. 
And so she devised a plan, and this story is true, recorded in the Annals of Warfare. This Jewish mother, she worked in the shop where they took the clothes from the prisoners, and she had access to clothes. And so she found some white satin, and she made a white satin pillow. She placed her newborn son upon it. And then she wrapped the sun and the pillow with old rags. It looked inconspicuous. And she carried it out of the shop into the work areas in the field where the Jewish men were laboring for the Nazis. And she inconspicuously set the bundle down along the road. And she went into the field to a couple of Jewish men. And she said, have you got a knife? Have you got anything sharp? And they said, you know that we don't have knives here. We don't, we're not allowed anything in this work camp. And it caught, her plea caught the attention of a Nazi officer. And he came running to see what the problem was. And she worked her way back to the roadside. And the men followed. And the men began to explain, officer, officer, this woman has requested of us something we do not have. And while they were in the conversational discourse, her eyes were frantically searching his clothes, his pockets, for the outline of a knife that might be there. And she found one in the pocket of his shirt. And the woman was so anointed with her desire to carry out the laws of God that to his his absolute startling amazement, this Jewish woman commanded him to give her his knife. He was so startled by her authority that he reached in and took the knife out of his pocket. And it was then that they noticed the bundle along the road and she got down along the road and she hastily unwrapped it and here was the baby. The mother circumcised the baby and with the blood running down through into the white satin, she picked up the, the pillow with her crying child upon it and the knife in hand and she walked to the Nazi officer. She said, here, you may take him now, you may kill him, but he is not cut off from his people. Would you lift your hands, would you lift your voice out? Lift your voice out. Something wonderful is in this house. Something powerful is in this house tonight. Something fearful is in this house. Do it again. Jesus, I pray for a spirit of revelation and understanding. I feel like we ought to shout for the Lord for a moment. To us, to whom so much is given, how much should we give accolades to Him? How much should we venerate Him? How much should we exalt Him? How much should we praise Him? For who are we that He should ever have come to the likes of us? But He found you, and He found me, and He's still finding people. He's bringing them to a glorious covenant. He's bringing people to a glorious covenant. Even in this hour, the pitiful, the pitiful pain of being a marked people has its heroes of fame immortalized in God's book of books. Thus God's master plan has marched down through the ages from generation to generation as the Jews mingled their blood with the blood of God through animal sacrificial substitutes and their blessed, blessed covenant of separation from the world, circumcision. 
This blood covenant relationship was confirmed continuously until literally people, a river of blood has been shed down through the ages. It ultimately climaxed into the greatest love story ever penned by human hand or told upon the lips of man. For suddenly, when the fullness of time had come, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world was born in the hillside country of Judea in a small village called Bethlehem. And the angel appeared and said, and his name shall be called Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Nothing like it had ever been told. Nothing like it had ever been heard. Nothing like it had ever been sung. Angels appeared making announcements. A great labor in the heavens caused a new star to shine. Wise men set out on a divine destiny. Devils trembled. The elements changed their courses in nature. Birds hushed their singing. Those that sat in darkness saw a great light. Because this King Jesus, when he was born, he startled the king in his infancy. He puzzled the doctors in his youth. He absolutely caused the elements to be obedient in his adulthood. Lepers were cleansed. The lame walked. The blind saw. He turned a funeral service into a praise service. Who is this man? Who is this man? From whence did he get this power? Never man spake as this man. Who is this that commands the elements? Who is this that forgives sins? Who is this that death flees? Who is this that has such authority and power? His name his name shall be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. I feel like shouting. I feel like screaming it tonight. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Would you clap your hands and would you cry Jesus tonight? I will clap my hands. I will clap my hands in this place. We've done it many times, but we'll do it. We'll continue to do it. We will clap our hands. We will shout with our voices of triumph, 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 triumph. Triumph over sin. Triumph over disease. Triumph, triumph over bondage and evil. Triumph. His name, his name, his name dispelled the darkness. The ghost of the night fled in defeat. To whisper his name, to shout his name, to moan his name, to weep his name, to scream his name, to cry his name, to groan his name, to plead his name, to petition his name, to laugh his name, to tremble his name, to boldly proclaim his name. In any stature, stance, or spoken utterance, it works. There is no other name. There is no other name. Say it. Tell me his name. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. 
Yeah, through the power of the resurrected one whose name is Jesus of Nazareth. There's something else in there with that. Do it again. There's something else here tonight. There's something here. I can feel angels on this platform. I can feel divine apostolic authority in this house. The spirit of utterance is in this place. The spirit of prophecy is in this place. The spirit of prophecy is in this place. It's been here all day. It was here this morning. It's here again tonight. Divine authority is in this house. Jesus, say his name again Jesus. and again. Jesus. You may be seated. Look your neighbor right in the eye and say, Jesus. Jesus. Have you ever felt anything more powerful? Have you ever heard a name sweeter? Yes. Jesus. Jesus is the one name that challenges an adjective to qualify it. There are no adjectives, there are no adverbs that can adequately explain, define that name. Devils tremble at the mention of that name. Sickness and disease flee at the mention of that name. The name of Jesus was in the hands of the Apostle Paul, but the rod was in the hands of Moses. If the Egyptians could have stolen the rod, they would have stripped Moses of his weapon of miraculous deliverance. If the Trinitarians and others of this world could strip us of the name of Jesus, we will have lost our power. A weapon of mighty deliverance. The modern church in this hour, having lost the power of the name of Jesus, is reduced to the position of a shorn Samson. One mighty miracle today in the name of Jesus Christ is worth more than a thousand modernistic sermons that are being preached in many churches. The Adonai of the Old Testament warned that to worship more than one God was idolatry. To entertain the thought of more than one God was idolatry. God thunderously warned the Jewish nation through the voice of his prophets that death and destruction would result if they did so. They did so and he destroyed his own people for their compromise and disobedience. Based upon this biblical truth and precedent, I can authoritatively declare to you this night that to worship in the Trinity is idolatry. It is idolatry. For it is written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one God. One, not two, not three, not a half a dozen, but one, and his name. Tell me again, and again, tell me his name again, 
Does anybody feel like shouting? Does anybody feel like screaming? I do not normally admonish anybody to scream, but there's something here tonight that's got a hold of me that I cannot hardly contain it. I feel the power. I feel the authority. I feel the power of Almighty God. Can you feel it? 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 You may be seated. Grab the hand of your neighbor and say, I've got what he's talking about. Say, I've got it. Say, it's trying to shake me. Yeah! Hallelujah! To shake me. Trying to shake us. His name is trying to shake us. In this hour, You may be seated. We have read so much of their literature that we have begun to think like them. We act like them and now our people want to dress like them. We have begun to see Jesus through their eyes. I do not want to see Jesus through Trinitarian eyes. I want to see him through the eyes of the prophets of old, through the apostles, through oneness people's eyes, through your eyes. Do you understand what I'm saying? You better understand what I'm saying because it is our only hope. No compromise, no going back. And there's a reason for it that we're going to get to. Clap your hands again and rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. You may be seated. We have created a monster and we have no one to thank but ourselves. We've done it for filthy lucre's sake. For whatever reason, we've done it. All the Trinitarians in the world could stand before Lucifer and they would not move him. But one, just one of us, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, will back him off. He has no choice. He has no choice. He has no choice. The whole Trinity world cannot back him off. But just one of us, one of you, can back him away. My God, my God, I would to God our preachers would come to grips with this and begin to preach it like they've never ever preached it before. We would see signs, we would see wonders, we would see miracles because it's all in the name. It's all in the name.
You may be seated. We are the only people in the world that can walk into the devil's territory and rearrange his borders for him. Think about that. That's what happened in Thailand. That's what, that is what has happened in Ethiopia, Africa, South America, the islands of the sea, and all the nations where our people of God. Because greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. The triune formula, all of that church history nonsense, it's in the world. But there is a God tonight who left this message in the hands of 12 ignorant, unlearned fishermen. And they said, Paul said, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. This is that. This is that, Brother Kilgore. This is that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Another that is not coming. Another that is not coming. This is that. This is that. This is that. You ought to be shouting. You ought to be shouting. You ought to be shouting for joy with victory. In the days, in the days of Elijah the prophet, we read in 2 Kings chapter 1 after the death of Ahab, Ahaziah fell down through the lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. And he was sick unto death. Ahaziah, a king of Israel, a king who had been taught the laws of God from his youth up. What did he do? He sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, the god of the Philistines, whether he would recover from his disease. He did not send to the prophet Elijah. He sent to the devils. The angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went out to intercept the messengers of the king. Elijah questioned with convicting piercing words. Is there not a God in all of Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub the God of Ekron? Therefore go tell the king he shall not come down from his bed but shall surely die. And he did so. I fear that we have gone to Ekron for help. Is there not a man among us in whom is found the wisdom of God? Is there not a man among us in whom is found the knowledge of the Lord? Is there not a man among us in whom spiritual leadership is found that we have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines of this world for help? It will end in disaster. It's only a matter of time. 
We are sending and we have sent mixed signals to our young preachers and to our people in general. Trinitarians cannot help me. I can help them. I lived among them for 23 years of my life. I was in Campus Crusade. Billy Graham was my hero. I was in Youth for Christ. I became a trained counselor among them. I know them and I know their ways. I know how they operate. I know what they think of us. So don't even talk to me about it. I don't want to go there. Your books I read. Your revelations I take to heart. Your anointing I weep over. But not theirs out there. Not theirs out there. We must remember here tonight. The harlot church will gather under her wings the religions and denominations of this world because they have the same baptismal formula. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost titles. You've forgotten that, haven't you? God sent me to remind you. Years ago, in Rensselaer, New York, you remember the church there. You came and preached for us. Brother Kilgore was the, He does not understand how what a blessing he was to us in those years of struggle. He was like an angel sent from God. His words, his words were like apples of gold and pictures of silver. We talked about your visit weeks after you left, Brother Kilgore. I was just a young preacher then. I looked at you and said, God, I want, I want to be like that. I found out about his father, and I said, I want to be like that. <laughs> In Rensselaer, New York, we had a home missionary church, pathetic compared to this. You cannot know how little money we had in those days. You can't even understand, maybe. So at Christmas time, we had a pitiful, pitiful Christmas program. But the children loved it. And the parents thought they were the cutest thing in the world. But to that Christmas program, one of our people had invited two Catholic nuns. I'll never forget this as long as I live. They sat in that audience. They watched those children perform. They heard us sing Christmas carols. They watched our people worship. We were not big in number, but they watched us clap. They heard us clap. They heard us sing. And at the end of the service, they stood and waited to talk with us. And they said, you know something? This has been one of the most wonderful evenings of our whole lives. For every day we pray before a crucifix with a dead Christ hanging upon it. Our basic concept of Christ is that he is dead. They said, but you people here, to you, he's alive. They said, to you, the cross is empty. They said, we can feel it. We can feel it in you. And their eyes were filled with tears. You have forgotten, people, what a blessed people you are. We have forgotten what a blessed people we are. That eventually culminated, all of that eventually culminated with a meeting between us and Catholic priests in that particular diocese. They met with us. They were listening to our story. We told them about the Holy Ghost, how wonderful it was, about healing miracles. I told them my story of being healed from a car accident. They listened with perhaps partial interest. When we finished, 
They said, it's all very wonderful. It sounds very wonderful. And we're glad for you. They said, but, but you belong to us. You are just our wayward children. We said, no, no, we're not your wayward children. They said, of course you are. Of course you are. You baptize exactly the way we baptize. You just went out from us many years ago. And eventually, we'll all come back together. We said, no, no, we didn't, and no, we won't. And they became very puzzled. They began to look very puzzled toward us. And finally, one of them said, well, how then do you baptize? Because we just said, we don't baptize the way you baptize. They said, how do you baptize? We said, we baptize by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I can still hear them. Those Catholic priests looked at each other. They said, then you didn't come out of us. I said, no, you came out of us. We are the originals. said Jesus said you will be hated of all men for my name's sake Jesus did not say you will be hated of all men for my spirit's sake but for my name's sake that hatred is beginning to build now in the earth here and abroad I have witnessed to many many Trinitarians through the years because I came out of that and I have a burden for them try try if you please Witnessing to any Trinitarian about the oneness of God, about baptism in Jesus' name, the beauty of it. Use as much kindness and tact as you possibly can. Something rises up in them the moment you mention the oneness of God or baptism in Jesus' name. It is unmistakable, undeniable. You'll find out how sweet they are. You'll find out how loving they are. It is an anti-Christ spirit. And it will send you... If Jesus tarries to the fires of death, as it has to many of our brethren through the centuries. We are fools to cater to certain situations. This boy does not cater. You can do what you please. I do not cater. 
I know what's going on in the spirit world. I thank God that when it comes right down to the very end, the name of Jesus will stand like a sentinel, like a light, like a torch, like a tower. Tap your hands again. Shout unto the Lord. The promise. Say the promise. The promise had been given. A son shall be born to you, Abraham. But Abraham made his mistake when he began to listen to a barren womb. For Sarah said, how can this thing be? She said, Abraham, go, go to my handmaid, Hagar. Abraham made his biggest mistake by listening to a barren womb. We receive too much information, too much inspiration from barren wombs. People who are trying to tell us how to have a move of God who have never had one. Trying to preach truth when they themselves do not even know truth. They are barren. There's no real biblical revival there. There's no real Holy Ghost anointing, no miracles. The big question then is, will we preach the gospel to just a handful of people? Or do we just have to have numbers no matter what? success is not counted by how many heads are in your Sunday school. Your success is counted by how many people qualify to go in the rapture. Yes. You Bible school students hear me tonight. You better preach this message and no other message because there is no other message. This is it. Genesis, Genesis 21 and 9, Sarah began to see the terror of her mistake when she saw Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had born, mocking Isaac. Sarah ran to Abraham. She said, Father Abraham, she said, the mistake has to go. She said, the mistake has got to go. And the mistake was sent down the road. If you do not take care of your mistakes, it will mock your miracle. You will be mocked. God spoke in Deuteronomy saying, chapter 13 verse 1, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And God said in verse 5, That prophet 
or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. It is time to stand up and to cleanse ourselves from the false prophets who have gone out from us and in this world. You don't seem very positive about that. But if Jesus tarries, some of you are going to face head on the spirits that I'm talking about here tonight and you will be required to do so. And it may cost your life as it did the Jews of old in the Old Testament for the name that lives inside of you. As time marched forward from Abraham to the end of Malachi, the ancient covenant of circumcision was carried out upon generation after generation of Jewish male children. God and his people were connected, bonded together in covenant keeping togetherness. Circumcision of the flesh was the only way to avoid being cut off from God and his people. But at the close of Malachi, after 400 years of silence, the opening of the door into the book of Matthew unfolds. We walk into the temple at Jerusalem, and as we're watching, suddenly a priest whose name is Zacharias approaches the altar of incense. He comes to minister as aforetime. It is, it is his appointed job, his position in the temple. And as he approaches unto this temple, the angel Gabriel, who is the messenger angel of God Almighty, was sent by God to give a message to this priest, Zacharias. And the angel said to Zacharias, a son is coming to you, Zacharias. He shall be called great in the sight of the Lord. His name shall be called John. Zechariah questioned. Elizabeth, his wife, was barren. She had always been barren. And because he questioned the messenger of God, he was struck dumb and mute. When he comes out of the temple, the people know he's had a vision. He can't speak. It's obvious that something has happened and they believe he's had a vision from God. However, nine months later, a male child is born at the circumcision of the naming of the child, Zacharias still cannot speak. So his wife said, his name shall be called John. This broke the tradition. A son was always called after the name of his father. It was unacceptable. Signs were made then to the father as to what the name should be. He secured a writing tablet and wrote. He wrote, his name shall be called John. And when he held it up and the people saw it, immediately his tongue was loosed. Fear fell upon the people. And he began to prophesy that this son was to bring knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins. A staggering statement, people. It was revolutionary because for 1,500 years they had done nothing but keep the laws of Moses. They brought this animal and that animal and cut this throat and cut that throat and put this pile of stones here and that pile of stones there. And now... This priest is beginning to say, this baby is going to rise up. He, he will be a prophet of the Lord. He will give knowledge 
of salvation to his people and remission of sins. What are you talking about, Zacharias? What has happened to your brain in these last nine months? Nevertheless, 30 years later, John came out of the wilderness preaching water baptism for the remission of sins. A total revelation is being revealed here. In Luke 7, Jesus said of John that he was the greatest of all prophets and that those who were baptized of him were justified by God. But whosoever rejected John's preaching rejected the counsel of God against themselves. In other words, Jesus backed up John's preaching that water baptism was for the remission of sins. What he was saying is, it's not in the blood of these animals. It's not in the blood of sacrifices. It's not in all these cages you've got around here. But it's in water. It's in water. Remission of sins is in water. Clap again and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you feel a spirit of revelation here? Can you feel something? At the end of the Gospel of Luke, just before his ascension, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. Peter on the day of Pentecost took the water that John had used and the name of Jesus his Messiah and Peter stood up and said it's not in the cages of the animals it's not in the bullocks it's not in the heifers but it's in water in the name of Jesus Christ he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost From the time of Abraham to Moses and then 1500 years after it had always been in Jewish tradition in Jewish theology that the remission of sins was in the blood of animals. Let's recap. But suddenly after 400 years of silence Zacharias comes in to minister and angel said Zacharias you're going to have a son. That son was born. That father prophesied he will bring knowledge of salvation unto his people by remission of sins. 30 years later, John came out of the wilderness like a wild man preaching. It's in this water. Sinner is in this water. Get down here in this water. Jesus said, it's in my name. Peter said, it's in water and the name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ by remission of sins. And can you hear me? Right there, the revelation totally stops. The revelation stops. There is no further revelation or solution or remedy anywhere in the Bible for the sin question. It is forever settled in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A New Testament circumcision, replacing Old Testament circumcision of the flesh. It was the heart that God was after all the time. A people for his name's sake. The heartbeat of God and his ultimate goal. You and me here tonight, a people called by his name. I'm in the covenant. I'm in the covenant. I'm in the covenant that goes back thousands of years. In the, holy, 
in the scriptures the Holy Ghost is promised it is a given but baptism in Jesus name is commanded the Holy Ghost does not put you in the covenant you can speak with tongues 40 hours a day you are still not in the covenant water baptism and water baptism in Jesus name alone puts you into the covenant nothing else does name is identity we are baptized into the identity of Christ we put on Christ we put on his name how many of you are glad you've been to the water Unfortunately, if you were to travel around the way I travel around, unfortunately, you would understand that in many of our churches, our own churches, baptism, baptismal services, it's almost an afterthought. It's done at the end of the service when people are fellowshipping, yakking about all kinds of nonsense. Only a few around the baptismal tank. But in reality, it should be done in the middle of the service with all the family members gathered, with the saints worshiping and shouting, because here is where that soul enters into the royal household of faith. Here is where that soul enters into a covenant with almighty God. Clap again. We sometimes, we sometimes shy from this ancient scar. Embarrassed to reveal, to expose its mark upon our flesh. But we are a marked people. We are a marked people. We are a marked people. Exactly as the Jews of old. There is no way to hide it. During the Hellenistic period, Jewish males underwent horrific surgical attempts to reverse the covenant scar so that they might be accepted by the people round about them. They endeavored to save their lives to be accepted by the people round about them by undoing the laws of God. We have seen a similar spirit manifest itself in the last few years among us. People among us, some who have undergone painful heart and mind surgeries, trying to remove the covenant scar so that they might be accepted by the people round about us. 
it will not work. It will not work. For us, it is until death do us part. <laughs> Out there, they hate us because we are strong in Jesus' name and the oneness of God. But if you leave this truth to go to them, they'll despise you for your weakness. You will never fit because they'll always remember you were once one of us. Because we are in a covenant that no other people on the face of the earth can boast of. And I close with this. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 2, the Bible says, speaking of the Hebrew children, it says, and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Moses. 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 Moses drawn from the waters of the river Nile, protected by the hand of Yahweh. His mother trusted in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and took this proper child against the decrees of Pharaoh, and built an ark and sealed it with pitch, and put this baby afloat in crocodile-infested waters, entrusting this baby to the destiny of the will of Almighty God. And that ark floated safely, everyone say safely. Safely in among the reeds for the women, among the women from the palace. And one of the princesses from the palace of Pharaoh himself reached into the water and looked at this unusual thing floating, opened the lid, and here was a beautiful baby boy. And she called his name Moses. Moses is not a Hebrew name. It is an Egyptian name, and it means drawn from the water. Moses was reared in the courts of Pharaoh, as I've mentioned, brilliantly educated, a prince. Can you believe it? A prince, a prince, a prince. How did he retain his identity? Because in biblical times, a child would nurse up until the time they were six years of age. And that princess knew she could not save the child's life. There was no milk in her breast. And so she ferreted out the mother of this child. And that baby was returned to that mother regularly to nurse upon his actual mother's breast. And every time that Jewish mother had that baby in her hands, and as he nursed, she kept whispering in his ear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Moses, Moses, there's only one God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses. The only God that exists is the God of our forefathers. The only God that is alive, Moses, is this God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God 
is run. And Moses, as a little boy, would run to the door of that little hut. And she would say, Moses, quote it. And he'd look back with those big eyes and say, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. the eventuality of all things when God's appointed time comes and it always does Moses was raised up to be a deliverer for the Hebrew children there is no way for me to tell you here tonight with words adjectives adverbs phraseology parallels whatever 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 there is no way to describe to you here tonight the excitement in the camp when they finally realized after all the plagues and trials and temptations that tomorrow morning was the day when they were about to leave the land of bondage on their way to a promised land that flowed with milk and honey you cannot know the excitement that there was in the camp and children were asking mommy what's this all about and she would say we're leaving this place tomorrow we're leaving this place we're going to a better land we're not going to have to labor there there are going to be no taskmasters there we're going to get to a land that flows with milk and honey our God has promised Moses Moses has declared it to us little boys were asking daddy what are you doing with the door what are you doing with the door he said I'm putting blood on the door I'm putting blood on the door because tonight the death angel is going to pass over but those of us who are under the blood we're not going to be touched by the death angel the death angel is going to pass over us he's going to pass over us when he sees the blood he will pass over us yeah look at your neighbor say I'm excited can you feel it brother Thompson can you feel it? It's still like a fire shut up in your bones. You gave your whole life to this man. Your living is not in vain. Your living is not in vain. Thousands and thousands, thousands and thousands are under the blood because of you. Yeah. Hallelujah. I doubt, I doubt very seriously there was much sleep in the camp that night. I doubt there was much sleep. The excitement, the treasures they had taken from the Egyptians. You say, they stole from the Egyptians. No, no, no! Back pay for 400 years of slavery. Their coffins, their coffers were filled with gold and silver and ivory and all kinds of furniture, food. The Egyptians had, had enough of them. They said, go, go, get out, take it, go! And so they were counting their treasures and wondering what was going to happen. And as the long fingers of dawn began to crawl over the horizon, the greatest moment in history for mankind was about to be born. For as those fingers reached to the clouds and etched with their fingers the crimson upon the disappearing darkness, the gates of Egypt swung open wide and Joshua took that ram's horn and he crawled upon the feet of one of those sphinxes and he lifted that ram's horn to his lips and he blew a blast that Egypt has never recovered from and when the blast sounded those, those Hebrew children began to pour out of those gates there was shouting there was dancing there was laughter ah 
they were holding on to their treasures. They were going toward a promised land. People, there are, there's no way for me to try to describe to you. You can't picture. I don't even know how to tell you. I can only tell you that at the end of the first day's journey, they sat down around their campfires and they said, listen, we're going to get a sleep in in the morning. We're not going to hear the taskmaster's voice. There's going to be no whip tomorrow. A little boy said, daddy, is this what deliverance is? He said, this is what deliverance is. No more taskmasters. No more whips. None of that. We're going to sing songs here tonight in the desert. We're going to dance around this fire. We're going to rejoice around this camp because we've been delivered. We've been set free. And so they sang their songs and they danced their dancers and they got up in the morning, they slept in late and they took off about 10.30. <laughs> and the people said, this is freedom. This is what freedom is. We never had this before. Is it going to be like this forever? Someone said, this is what is promised. This is what God has promised. This is what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob promised. He promises us freedom all the way through, all the way through to the land of promise. We're about to go to a land. We're about to go to a land. they marched on and night after night they sang they danced they roasted animals they ate a banquet and the stars shined down upon them and their bleeding backs began to heal under the sun and the air and the breath of freedom and the face of Jehovah Almighty smiled down upon his people who had kept his laws and who had adhered to his statutes. Hmm. And they traveled on until they came to the waters of the Red Sea. When they got to the waters of the Red Sea, they camped against the waters, the surf, the beauty of the sunset, the seagulls that were flying in the heavens, the clouds that sank heavily in magnificent crimson behind yonder distant horizon. Their eyes had never seen anything like it. Their hearts had never felt anything like it. Their bodies were experiencing freedom, deliverance, a new life. But in the midst of the rejoicing, in the lookout camp where Moses and Joshua camped, all of a sudden, it was something like thunder in the distance. And Moses said, there's thunder in the distance. Joshua fell to his knees, withdrew the dagger, the dagger from his belt, and stuck it in the earth, and clasped his teeth upon the handle of that dagger. And he could feel the vibrations in the earth coming. He stood to his feet. He said, Moses, master, now it's not thunder. It is the pounding of horses' hooves. It is the pounding of the wheels of chariots. Fear gripped the camp. Fear gripped the camp. But Moses said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And Moses took that rod and he stretched it over the waters of the Red Sea. And the east wind began to blow. And the people looked in amazement. And all through the night, the east wind blew. And it 
piled the waters up on the left and up on the right and God dried a highway through the midst of the sea. And when the light broke in the morning, the Hebrew children looked down into a dry highway through towering walls of mighty miracle, standing by the divine power and providential care of Almighty God. And the pillar of fire that had kept Pharaoh and his host from coming in upon the camp suddenly began to disappear. And the Hebrew children, Moses said, go forward. And Joshua blew that ram's horn. And those people began to pile down into that driveway. And they began to walk through. I mean, imagine, it was like walking through an aquarium. I mean, they can look to the left, the right, see the great fishes. I mean, God does everything well, don't you understand? He'll make a way for you in the wilderness. And he'll give you a little sightseeing along the way. And they are rejoicing and they are worshiping. And they are singing the songs of Zion. And they are involved. Because they've got a God who can open the waters. They've got a God who can cover them with a cloud. They've got a God who can bring the fire. The fire! <laughs> the Hebrew children went through on dry ground. Pharaoh made the greatest military mistake of his entire career when he commanded his chariots and charioteers to follow the children of Yahweh into the midst of the sea. For when the last Hebrew child was safe on the other side, the last donkey pulled up to safety, the last wagon pushed and pulled up and out of the sea, Moses stretched forth the rod of the Lord. The towering walls of water, like mountains of liquid death, began to crash down, covering the mighty army of Pharaoh. And centuries later, King David sang, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Pharaoh could follow the Hebrew children to the water, but he could not get through the water because he didn't believe in the water, nor the God of the water. The Hebrew children did. Here is revelation. Here is understanding. It was the water that separated Israel from Egypt. It was the water that separated Israel from Egypt. When you came to God, when I first came to God, when we started our journey, the devil followed us. He tried to get us back. He can follow you. He will follow you when you begin your journey toward God. When you begin your journey toward the promised land, he cannot stand it that you're in the process of getting away from him. He wants to re-enslave you. He wants to take you back to the mud pits. He wants to take you back to the slavery. The devil can follow you to the edge of the baptistry. He can follow you right to the very edge of the baptistry. But he can't get through the water. He can't get through the water. When you come out of the water, in Jesus' name, you have left him on the other side. You have drowned his influence in the waters of baptism. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
It is the water in Jesus' name that separates us from this world. It is water that separates us. Here is the greatest revelation. Here is the greatest revelation. If you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you have already been delivered. You have already been delivered from this world. The devil may cry to you from the other side, but he cannot get through the water. He cannot get through the water. Do you hear me? If you have been baptized in Jesus' name, you have left him and his influence on the other side. I don't care what the devil tries to catch you to hear. I don't care how much he yells at you. He cannot get through the water. You've been delivered, people. You've been delivered. We've got the greatest deliverance in this entire world. We have been delivered. See, I've got that. See, I've got what he's talking about. You may be seated. I said to the devil about a year ago in my home, I said, devil, I can still hear your voice. Come and get me. Come on. But you'll have to come through the water and you can't get through the water. I'll drown you. I'll drown you in Jesus' name. Like of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> 